Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North to the citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum Borealis. Tonight we have a tidbit for you, an update of sorts on several current affairs in a free-flowing dialogue with my colleague, the dark journalist. Tonight's guest is also known as Daniel Lizd, an independent reporter and filmmaker who coined the term dark journalism to introduce crucial areas of research and investigation into matters that the mainstream media refuses to touch. This is in direct concord with the aim of our forums, and so it's only natural to have Mr. List back to continue our previous talk. Daniel's background is as a freelance journalist, senior producer, copywriter and editorial manager for different companies, among else Apple, AOL, Shutterfly and Hotwire. He's worked with advertising, social media marketing, public relations, TV and web content, a few years ago, he rolled out the system-critical program Dark Journalist, which is as innovative as it is popular in the field of investigative journalism programming. Some of the topics he covers are the black budgets, economy, deep politics, classified military programs, covert intel operations, corporate geoengineering, media cover-up, and the impact of the UFO phenomenon, which, to a considerable extent, all dovetails hand-in-glove with our own focus subjects. He has appeared on major news shows, podcasts, TV and radio like Coast to Coast AM, provided breaking stories, interviewed world-famous personalities, and his video channel has reached millions of views. Dark Journalist has an engaging interview style, allowing for an in-depth exploration and shockingly honest coverage of complex and controversial subjects. As such, he's part of that segment of emerging independent media that challenges the old-stream corporate media, contributing to rendering them superfluous and obsolete. He is therefore a natural recurring guest, and today we are surfing through the state of different current matters like political affairs, including Trump, globalism and the deep state, spiritual affairs like UFO cults, New Age and traditional esoterica, junk conspiracy affairs like Corey Good, corporate machines and Intel Ops, and of course we have to discuss the genuine covert space program behind the distraction of fantasy, lies and hype. With brief updates on several of the serious researchers in this field, it is served.
Welcome back to the forum, Daniel. That's great to be here, Al. Yeah, it is. And today, by the way, uh, I haven't, you know, structured it too much, so it's just be a free-flowing chat. Oh, great. That, great. No, yeah. that's that's super. Yeah, we uh <laughs> we always have a way. Well, your conversations anyway go in an interesting direction, so great. We'll always make out the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Pop right into it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. And the timing, like you said just before we started, is impeccable. <laughs> because we did talk last time uh, about having you back and making an evaluation of the crazy time period that's transpired since <laughs> then. Yeah. But it's even more actualized now due to remember we talked about the third force as you've baptized it yes yes and now it's so perfect i mean you've done some actual journalism mm -hmm. uh, and kudos to you for that i mean we are just an interview show but you actually do journalism and for everyone who's not up to date we have this uh, person, Corey Good, yeah. that has popped up here and there, and, and we'll get into all that. Actually, better you present it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you could give us the really short version of that phenomenon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just start there. Well, it's, it's interesting. I would say that um, I think the last time I was on, we were just doing the Secret Space Program conference in Texas. And at that time... At the conference, we had former Assistant Secretary of HUD, Catherine Austin Fitz, going into the missing trillions around the secret space program. We had Linda Moulton Howe. Um, we had Jim Mars. We had John Brandenburg and Dr. Joseph Farrell. That's the big thrust of that conference. And wow, like mm. when we came out of that, we had a lot more information. Uh, those presentations were fantastic. Some of them went viral. And I think it really upgraded the entire conversation around the secret space program. Yeah. And the secret space program basically was a concept that was lingering out there since Gary McKinnon came forward, who had kind of used these passwords to get into some computers at NASA and found an off-world officers list. Well, there's been all this stuff that's been floating around about the secret space program. That happened in 2002, which is pretty remarkable now. That's long ago now. It really is. Um but since then, we've had people come forward and say, well, they were witnesses to this or that. And uh, some people later we got who were starting to claim they were in the program. And this is mm -hmm. where things got funky, because I would say up until the point, you know, there were rumors swirling about the secret space program, which basically meant that all the money that we dumped publicly into NASA which was getting strange because NASA had cut their budgets back to 1965 levels, which yeah. is pretty odd. And privatized everything. Yeah. yeah. So then you had these companies popping up like SpaceX, I think the most yeah. prominent, Bigelow Airspace, um, certainly Richard Branson's enterprise. So, um, you know, they were coming up. There were all these opportunities in space, like space mining and space tourism and all this. But mixed in with that was this idea that the reason the space program had gone off the rails, say, in the early 70s, really, was because we had decided to have the space program go black for some reason, for X unknown reason. Mm. And what happened was uh, over the course of time, the space program had more and more difficulties like the Challenger explosion, less and less victories, no more men on the moon waving the flag and stuff. All that stuff was gone. And you got this other weird murky period where the only thing that we talked about really 
in space, uh, you know, say 20 years after the space program kicked in, was Star Wars and the SDI program that Reagan put yeah. together, which was space weaponry. Totally different application. It's no longer exploration. Yeah, and you you had on, I, I think you had on the space program, uh, one of those who's been fighting against the Star Wars program, what's his name again? Carol Rosen, is that the name? Oh. I think she was attending. She, yes. Carol Rosen was Werner von Braun's assistant. And she was chosen. She was matched up, paired up with him. She was actually a, a teacher, and they wanted to pair up somebody with von Braun, who was like an average citizen, to get to know the space program. So she spent some time with him, and she had some fascinating things to say about what von Braun had shared with her. Yeah, but yeah, but the thing is, she very early, <clears throat> I think, maybe back from the Reagan days, but very early, she. I don't remember the name of the organization, but she has some kind of organization yes. that is fighting against the weaponization, weaponization. of space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had a colleague of her own recently, so yeah, she told yeah. me about that. Yeah, and well, I think that she did a great job of pointing out that the weaponization of space is really you know, going full scale, represents trillions of dollars of investment. So there there have been these people who've tried to spotlight it, and I think it, it is important when you think about it, because there are treaties also out there that we have with other countries about not weaponizing space, which may lead back to the fact that we've broken those treaties. Uh, some of them date from 1968, and if right. we if we have broken those treaties, then uh, certainly that's that's part of the reason for the heavy, heavy, and I mean heavy secrecy <laughs> around the topic. And I can just throw in there while you're at it, Antarctica Treaty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty well raped too, I think. <laughs> Truly. There's, uh, I mean, there's also, as we get into this, there's the UFO factor, which mm -hmm. is as they develop things in space, they can have any number of excuses like, well, we need, uh, for example, in the development of the space fence. This is a whole other project, which is meant to supposedly grab all the junk in space and make sure it bounces off of Earth. But these things are all dual purpose because um, the space fence also gives you incredible uh, abilities to analyze and create basically a, a global smart grid where mm. you can analyze information on the ground in a heartbeat. And so all the privacy concerns straight out the window. But this thing is up there under construction as basically like a huge scrap pile for space junk. So um, things like that, when you think of the space fence, though, we can also look at dual purpose because if they have things flying around out there that they're not – they don't have no idea where they're coming from if they represent off-world civilizations or something else. Mm. Then they need the ability to analyze them. And how are you going to get Congress and people like that to fund it? You, can't, you don't want to open this up to the public. So you create these projects in space. And we have multiple projects going on in space and at suborbital uh, levels, which are just completely off the charts. And the public knowledge factor is so low and the congressional yeah. oversight uh, also is, is completely at a low stage. Mm. Yeah, uh, but um, I think uh, together with uh, Gary McKinnon, there's a couple of other guys I want to credit with early secret space program C. Mm. One is the, let's see what his name is. Oh, he was uh, in NASA. Let's see. Is it uh, Hoagland? Richard Hoagland? No, no. Well, Hoagland has been an outsider trying to... Yeah. 
Uh, and, and yeah, he's been early about this uh, and time has credited him. I think so. I think Dark Mission holds up because yeah. uh, I like the new edition too, but the Dark Mission basically indicated that there was something like a secret space program. So really Hoagland had a good role there. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, many points that Joseph Farrell has uh, elaborated on and detailed out. Hoagland was actually first out with many infos uh, like, yeah. like the fact that um, the Germans in NASA uh, fired a rocket in, into Mexico and uh, the fact that uh, the Kutcherson yeah. came out and admitted that there was a cooperation with Kennedy and his father, etc. <coughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I'm referring to Clark McClellan. Oh, yes. Yeah. He is an interesting case because... One of those things we can peg someone for real is what happens to them. <laughs> and in Clark McClellan's case, he's barely alive. I just talked with Harry Cooper, who, who's close with him, and he, he's still alive, but very bad health. He lost all his pension. I mean, they tried to crush him oh. after he went out. And he wrote about this, and he had a website, and he came with claims <laughs> that you really have to be in, in the deep end of these things to... Maybe that's also why his impact wasn't that big, because he, he really said uh, stuff that's hard to process for most people. Mm-hmm. Not just a secret space program, but like giant aliens and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, stuff like that. So he was early on. Oh, yeah. Hey, what about Stephen Greer? Have you ever thought about interviewing him? Mm, well... It's an interesting thing. I'll tell you, Greer really <laughs> outed good, and they have a battle going on. Oh, that's to Steven's credit. I think so, yeah. I think so. Um, Greer did great stuff back in 2002 and all that. And uh, yep. later, I thought it got a little new agey. Yep. But, um, Messianic savior. Yes. And, and, and I do uh, sympathize with Dolan's. Uh, you can't just call Blanche state that all of But, yeah. you know, sometimes I go from one pole to another there when I entertain the scenarios. Because l- let's say, for the sake of hypothesis, that Greer is right, that the others who ain't us are not out to... Actually, if they wanted to, it's a good point. They could have done anything long time ago, unless they are doing something behind the scenes, right? It's a good but point. Yeah. Overtly, if they wanted to, they could have done long ago. So let's say they are friendly. Let's say they're just mm-hmm. whatever, curious tourists, observators, mm-hmm. <laughs> prison wards, who knows? <laughs> but one thing is for sure. When our guys get these things, they will try to take them on. Yes. <laughs> Nobody can doubt that. So then the question is, um, sometimes I go from the, okay, they are uh, peace-loving and we are the bad one. We are the one abducting and <laughs> causing havoc and, you know, fear them, fear them. So that, there, Gria may have a point. Right. But then you can go to the complete other. You could say, I mean, your program here, I'm watching title say Cabal Infiltration. Mm-hmm. I mean, Try alien infiltration. <laughs> that could explain a lot. They live or whatever. <laughs> so you have these polarities in scenarios too. It's true. The other thing about Greer, after dealing with good and his people, Greer looks a whole lot better to me now. <laughs> <laughs> true. 
your enemy's enemy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think I'll invite Greer on, actually. No, I think he'd make a great show. Yeah, I, I think it can be. I'm even going to have Hoagland on, and that's going to be a challenge. Yes, I love Hoagland. Yeah, me too. <laughs> He's Hoagland. No, I, I assume that will be a classical interview. Good. I'm lucky if I get in 10 questions. <laughs> so... Good. You know, you should, if you have the new edition of Dark Mission. Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. If you have the new one, then you're gold in a sense, because there's a lot of new stuff that they packed into that. It wasn't just a re-release. And uh, I felt like. The- yeah, I have it, but I haven't read the new version, only the old. I have like 8,000 books, man. <laughs> well, uh, before the interview hits, I'd read the new stuff because there's it's right. very tasty indeed <laughs> okay cool um, thanks for the tip but anyway so fantastic and uh, i will also give kudos to michael schratt mm-hmm. uh, I, I i don't believe he was at the same conference that you but he uh, was in he was in 2014 yeah 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 and and then he went off the radar I've tried to get hold of him. Have you seen anything? He's he's going to be at MUFON as part oh. of the uh, – we're, and we're going to get into the MUFON thing. There's a MUFON secret space program panel, but unfortunately the head speaker is Corey Good, so we're not going to be able to avoid wow. him. Wow. Uh, and it's really interesting because at that table you're going to have Sala, Michael Sala, who's the big <laughs> yeah. supporter of Good and writes you know, mm-hmm. basically the fantasy version of secret space. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to have Corey Good. And you're going to have Bob Wood, who Corey Good is trying to get to write a book with him. So, and then on the other side, you're going to have Shrat and Dolan. Hmm. So uh, it's a pretty interesting, interesting counterbalance. And uh, interestingly enough, Dolan actually came out with Bill Ryan in an interview today. Uh, so that just went live, hmm. and they're talking about MUFON, the controversy around the secret space program. Oh, I'd like to and- see that. <laughs> and the Corey Good, so it's pretty good. I, I recommend you check it out. Sure. Interestingly enough, uh, Bill Ryan in his interview with Dolan uh, revealed the fact that Andrew Basiago had this whole idea of a jump room. It yeah. actually came from Ryan, and he was using a shorthand. He made up the term. Yeah. So later, when Basiago came out and said, "Hey, I participated in the Mars jump room," yeah. it didn't actually exist. It's actually called the corridor, not the jump room. <laughs> Right, right. That's a typical uh, <laughs> way to expose them. I was actually thinking about uh, Bashiag was one of those predecessors of uh, Corey Good. No question, so, yeah. Mm. No question. But uh, and I will say this uh, just about that whole thing, which is we can get into what constitutes evidence too. That's kind of a good place to go. Yeah. But one last thing about Schratt, the, the reason I want to kudos him is that if you see his presentation, it's so tight. Yeah. You can't get away from the fact that our, quote unquote, people are playing around with this, with this technology. Mm-hmm. He, he documents it. Uh, unless you want to say that uh, aliens has taken over American uh, space uh, program and, <laughs> and they are the ones... Uh, well, yeah. it's interesting. We get into very interesting and murky areas because yeah. there are good – there's good NASA footage of us shooting at something flying around. And the thing that's flying around does not look like any technology we know here on Earth. So I do think that part of Star Wars was oriented around this idea of being able to fire back if need be. Fire back? Oh, I'd say aggressive fire first. 
Shoot first, fire first, golf yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that there is this emphasis out there about it and the strange comments, of course, that President Reagan made. Uh, there is a reason why people go back to that, because it's very unusual in history, and yeah. I don't think we have anything like it, where Reagan starts to talk about if only the Soviet Union could get together with America, if there was an alien threat out there, we'd all recognize that we're the humans and they're the alien threat. My reply is too little, too late. Kennedy tried. <laughs> why don't yes. you boot uh, your vice uh, president, you moron? <laughs> He's the guy who stops that. But um, and then you have uh, these uh, binoculars, uh, what's they called, the third generation um, Infrared, I think, mm -hmm. you know, that you can put on and you can see what's going on. Immediately. Yes, well, they're, they're all the rage at UFO conferences. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. But I mentioned them because when you take a look at what people see, it also looks as if they're shooting at each other. <laughs> I mean, it may be interpretation, projection, etc. But that's the funny thing. Seeing UFOs isn't that hard if you really want to. But seeing them, what looks like race, mm -hmm. shooting on each other, <laughs> that's right. the weird thing. Yeah, and these are the night goggles, and there's a yeah. whole kind of cult around them. And it is really quite fascinating. I think that basically there's a ton of things going on up there that we just have no idea about. Mm. Um, and once in a while, we get a major event like a Phoenix Lights, mm. and it's undeniable. But then the public has to move on because if you can't explain it and the government won't explain it, what are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> you know, except UFO research. And it's very interesting to me because I think we're at a point with the UFO research. There was at the beginning of last year, there were all these unusual things. Pepsi was doing a commercial about a Tesla satellite that went up in 1899 and that Tesla had figured out it had been up there as a satellite monitoring Earth. Oh, is this the, the Black Knight? Uh, Black Knight satellite, exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely is. I never heard it tied to Tesla, though. That's interesting. Well, the original Black Knight goes to the 40s and 50s. Mm. But the way that they kind of did this together in the commercial was that Tesla had mentioned something about a satellite out there, but from 1899. So they just tied the two things together and said, oh, that's the Black Knight satellite that they mm. found later. Mm. But Black Knight, I think, was pretty legitimate, but it's a space artifact that's hanging out up there. Mm. Mm. But this idea that Pepsi was doing a commercial about it, and then wow. we had commercials during the Super Bowl about really high-tech future in 100 years and like space elevators and all these things. Yeah. And it really seemed like they were gearing up during that election season. Hillary Clinton came out and talked about UAPs. Mm. And yeah. uh, so the conversation around it was very unusual. And then right at her campaign manager's side was this guy, Tom DeLong. And the campaign manager was Podesta, who we all know got into some trouble later. But uh, DeLong as we know, was the Blink-182 rock guy who out of the blue decided he was obsessed with UFOs and suddenly had access to everyone. Oh, so that was out of the blue. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is that uh, I think really, here's a fascinating thing about DeLong, and I know a lot about DeLong because I 
I went on the Vice Motherboard podcast when his book came out because mm-hmm. they really wanted somebody to say, like, you know, what's the deal here? Mm. And when I researched along, what I found out was that the year before, he had put out a book about paranormal stuff in the same fashion. That is, he put his name on it, but they had a second writer who really basically wrote it, who was a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, that's that's how he writes his books. Like, <laughs> right. uh, Sacred Machines, that's Levandos. Exactly. That's <laughs> basically. Yeah. And uh, that's a kind of approach, but they had this other guy another New York Times bestseller, write his UFO fiction. Mm. But the year before, they had tried the same exact experiment with the paranormal and failed. They had the whole thing set up. It was like, we're going to have t-shirts, we're going to have this marketing campaign, boom, boom, boom. They pushed it out there, nothing happened. The next year he comes around, it's UFOs, and he's tied in with Hillary Clinton's campaign. Somehow there's a weird thing in society about UFOs going on. There was a resurgence there of the whole UFO question. And a marketing push came in out of nowhere in early 2016 that just had not been there before. And DeLong was the first angle on it. He was the first big push into it. He said, I'm going to have documentary series. I'm going to have fiction and nonfiction books. I'm going to have movies. And I've got TV and gear stores and all this stuff set up. We're going for it. And a lot of his plans fizzled, especially when the first book didn't do well. Hmm. But I thought, this is interesting because they thought Hillary was going to win. He's tied hmm. in with the Hillary campaign. There was some something going on here. but um, And he's promised ever since to have this big announcement, and it keeps getting pushed back month after month. But he got, in the meantime, all this attention, you know, and the, the shows like Coast to Coast and stuff put him on as like having all this amazing information. But if you really listen to it, it's absolutely regurgitated nothing. Yeah. He basically yeah. is touting fantasy novels around UFO information that's already out there. So, Yeah, there's two ways to regard this. At the one hand, it's obviously a sanctioned kind of operation going on here. Let's release something. Mm-hmm. Probably a limited hangout of some sort, but sure, it's uh, it's the big market forces and probably intelligence forces and all that. On the other hand, if you're famous and lending your name to something like that, it does help getting it out and getting attention to it. And, and, and we're going to talk about that very soon, too, in regard to the Corey Good thing. Yes. But I'd say that um, when it comes to to that crowd of the ufologist people like Podesta and, and Clintons, we, we know already from what Stephen Greer has revealed that the Clintons are totally aware. Yeah. Uh, and when they try to – I think they just try to use it as a voting collection mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to gather votes because yes. they know it's it's a good one and they it's already out there, their association to it. And if – there's this, um, I think it's worked for the FBI as a body analytic and uh, you, you see some interesting YouTube videos where Obama, Hillary and Bill are all interviewed about UFOs. I think it's one of these uh, comedy night shows. Yes. And he gives a very convincing and, and authentic analysis of what's really going on here in them it's very interesting to watch and uh, clinton says at some point that uh, i don't remember word by word but something about uh, if she's elected she'll look into it and release it if it's <laughs> not a threat to security right yes exactly <laughs> yeah so that's a good uh, uh, you know covering your bases there but thing is 
if she really wanted to do that, she'd do it a long time ago. Sure. Because uh, they, they were already in the know back in the day when they joined the Bush team. Yeah, absolutely. So Podesta and all these people, they're interested in this stuff, they're associated with this stuff. But I think if there's any genuinity in, let's say, DeLong or Podesta, it's for their, their own benefit to know and then just release what they are allowed to. Yeah. So we wouldn't get anything from that crowd, even if they are genuinely interested. Well, they don't want to be left out of the loop. Mm. And they know that a lot of this has been pushed over into corporate hands. I mean, this is fascinating because Eisenhower himself, there's no question in my mind from tracking it back that there were there was high level interest in these crashes and crash retrievals that happened. And mm. these were UFO crashes. And once they got their hands on them, wherever that technology came from, it was far advanced from anything we had. So there was some reverse engineering, uh, even though I think it's overplayed, that there, there's more to it than just that. But for the sake of brevity, we'll say there was a lot of reverse engineering of this material. And at a certain point, the government realized we're subject to a kind of campaign, you know, if somebody gets at us, they can get this information because we're in the government. We have a responsibility to share it with the public at a certain point. What we need to do is make it so that it is completely in private hands and that they moved in the Eisenhower administration, especially after the period of his having a stroke. Mm. Um, Nixon was very unsure of himself. Nixon was only something like 41, 42 years old. Mm. And uh, he was young in the presidency. And he was trying to run the show for a couple of months while Eisenhower was in the hospital. And so a lot of this moving of the responsibility of those things happened during these periods when Nixon had taken over. And what they did was they, they would take a company like Lockheed Martin and say, you hold some of the technology and take another contractor company like Boeing and say, you hold some of the technology. Yes, compartmentalization. Exactly. And uh, the companies themselves at a certain point developed because they had the ability not to show their books because they're a private company and they didn't have yeah. to show where the technology was coming from. But it looks like uh, there's a whistleblower that came forward and talked actually with Linda Moulton Howe about how in 1959 he was part of a team that Eisenhower had sent to the CIA to demand that he get an update around Area 51 because Area 51 was developed under Eisenhower. And they weren't giving him updates. Uh, and so the CIA was basically blowing him off. Yeah, yeah. And it's obvious that the civil administration long ago lost control over this. Um, what I question is to what extent does the deep state – within the, I mean, the state part of the deep state have control or how much is this really hijacked by private deep state forces? Like, right. say, is there anyone in the military who really has full access? Is there anyone in the intelligence structure who, who calls the shots? Or have these private companies managed to yeah. uh, run away with a cake, basically? That's, that's the <laughs> interesting is. question, it is. isn't it? It is a very good question. I've had a few hints at an answer at different times because mm -hmm. I became very focused on this exact question. And I went uh, and talked with people like Farrell, like Dolan, who really talk about these things in different ways. And of course, yeah. Peter Dale Scott. So what I came to understand is that the deep state and the breakaway civilization are two very different things. 
and that the deep state relates more to the power structure that we see around us. So mm. we have the regular public state that we know about, law and order justice, Congress and all the rest of it here in America anyway. And then riding right alongside that is this deep state. Uh, and the deep state relates to military intelligence. It relates to Wall Street. It relates to big oil interests. And they no, need to make an impact on public policy at different times. And so they'll step into the public realm, make their change through a deep event, and then step out again into the shadows. And that's the deep state system that's operating that we don't get a handle on. We only see what they do after they've done it. Mm. Um, the breakaway civilization, the way that I understand it, represents a small group that got really the best access to this UFO advanced technology, wherever it had come from, and that that group would use that maybe as a bargaining chip and, and yeah. in those aspects of dealing with the deep state. For example, if you're Boeing and you want the best contracts going forward and you, you, know, you want this kind of access to the defense budget, then you can use that type of technology that you've acquired over the years in these crash retrievals, and that's been kind of given off to you. Uh, and the, the government factors, when we get people in there like Trump, I'm absolutely convinced that Trump is, is about as far away from a deep state operator as you can get. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, Actually, I, I was thinking we could get to Trump too today. But yes. I want to uh, interject before we go on here. I just had Catherine Fitz on, and uh, what you're saying here, uh, makes me associated to I'll give an analogy because mm -hmm. you have the black budget and you have the black yes. budget right you have the right. you have the public black budget right and then the super black budget yeah and the public black budget would be analogous to the deep state yes and then you actually have the covert black economy Yes. The real one that's not even at the books. And that would be kind of like the breakaway civilization. Yeah. And it's not just an analogy because it, it tells you something about where these money actually goes. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, the real black money goes to the breakaway yes. civilization if they are, you know, using earth energy to produce their toys. Yes. Well, absolutely. And that gets us back to the secret space program, because you'd have to keep the whole thing secret if you were yeah. pilfering off trillions of dollars. So the missing trillions in the secret space program become tied together in the work of somebody like Catherine Fitz. Mm. We're able to see it. We get something of a lens on it because she understands government budgets. We don't have a lot of people who will talk about secret space and ufos who also know government budgets it's a very limited crowd mm. yeah <laughs> at least publicly yeah yeah and so you know i like david stockman for example he does excellent work around budgets he understands them probably better than everybody when i talked with him the whole thing about russia becomes ridiculous because he says well you know russia has the economy of new york city basically right. and that they spend we spend in two weeks what they spend in a year on defense. So it gives us a much better idea about what actually happens inside of these budgets and versus headlines in the New York Times. But the truth is that when it gets to something like UFOs, I can't go to David Stockman and say, well, what about the black budget aspect of UFOs? He's not mm -hmm. going to talk about it. So we see the incredible value of somebody like Catherine Fitz mm. because Catherine has had that experience having – done Wall Street, having done HUD, having worked for Clinton, having worked for Bush, she understands how those budgets are allocated out. Uh, and that's very important because 
this is the extra edge. We don't have to, you know, we can kind of stop fantasizing about it and, and kind of get a handle on some numbers versus some things that we see happen. Uh, exactly. She, yeah. she operates with, what, 50 trillion? Is that the number? No, no, it's... I forgot the number. Yeah. Uh, she mentioned it on a show, but... Uh, yeah. She's, yeah, but, but the thing is, when she pinpoints a number like that, yeah. you don't have any choice. You have to ask yourself, where is this going? And like I told her, I don't see any Manhattan Project going on, you know, in, in a transparent part of the world. Yeah, good point. Maybe they're doing something in Antarctica. Maybe they're doing something on the moon or, or just in, in orbit or out in space. Uh, but it has to be something like that. Obviously, the underground tunnels uh, would take some of this cake or even underwater projects. Right, but right, right. I got gotcha. That kind of number. Um, or like Jeremy Irons just said. He just said, he went out and said, hey, the whole world is in debt, okay? Mm-hmm. And if we all owe these trillions of dollars, we have to owe it to someone. Mm-hmm. Who are these guys? Why are they not standing up so we can deal with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so logical. It's so basic. So you have to ask yourself, okay, where is this money being pumped in? And we have no other choice. You've got to do it. You have to. Um, I mean, I try to look at this creatively. The only thing uh, it boils down to is uh classified uh, space program it's the only thing that can explain this yeah. uh, but of course in there we bake in like maintenance like dolan points out very expensive to maintain these things mm-hmm. uh, probably resource uh, hunting mining stuff like that yeah. yeah sure yeah there's no question about it there and i think the figure is 40 trillion that she quotes which 40, is okay. it's missing mm-hmm. It's literally missing from the federal budget since the 90s. So this is over the period of time. Now, we know that the Pentagon themselves, everyone talks about how Rumsfeld came out and talked before 9-11 about how there was 2.3 trillion missing. Mm. But the Pentagon just announced 6.5 trillion missing for 2017. Yeah. So that's where they are now. And and a new report uh, showed that uh, DOD is missing. I think it's 10.5 trillion, according to Fitz. Okay. But in the last 20 years, 10 trillion, and that's just DOD. Uh, we went through all those numbers. But the, the point is, uh, this is huge money. Nobody can use those money for anything within the white economy. No, it's, it's I, yeah. such a huge... Uh, right. And, and this is a funny thing. We get off the idea that like, oh, you know, like they're... We do have the uh, Davos crowd and we have the Bilderberg crowd and we know that they have luxury this and yachts that and luxury apartments. But this is some real incredible money. Give me 30 trillion. <laughs> yes. If I spend every minute of the rest of my life, I can't spend that money. Exactly. It's just impossible. Uh, let's um, forward a little. So we have established that, you know, all, all these people, Hoagland, Schratt, uh, McClellan, uh, everyone. And then comes the first decent conventions on the space program from researchers, from especially we have to give kudos to Jeron and those people. Yeah, the who, global, global BAM. Yeah. 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 Who's been focusing on breakthrough energy, as they call it, and obviously this space program. And then like we noticed uh, already a few years ago, these weird narratives come out. Now, why didn't they come out before the researchers exposed this thing? Why after the researchers are already there, conveniently, people come out and say, yeah, 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 I was a part of that. Right, yeah, here <laughs> we go. I mean? It's like Anne Jacobson's book. She 
came out with a totally sanctioned book because she got all these Pentagon and Intel people on the record. And right after Farrell's book on... Um, Roswell on the, the right. Ro- ro- yeah, yeah. And then she came out to say, yeah, 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 it, it all happened. But it wasn't the Nazis, it was the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, so why are you coming out with this after the Nazi narrative is already out there, right? So that's yeah. that's a classical limited hangout. And then comes Corey Good and these people. And one of the reasons I've been critical, skeptical even, to Project Camelot mm-hmm. Uh, for the very reason that they have fronted people like Corey Good and uh, also someone else uh, that I know personally for sure are swindlers, basically. Yes. But of course, you could say, yeah, yeah, they were sincere nonetheless. But now, after you and Bill Ryan has come on the record, I got new respect again for mm-hmm. Ryan. I, I realize he is actually a sincere guy. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely think so. I, uh, yeah. I think with Camelot, see, Camelot was an unusual thing. There was nothing quite like it. And what they did was they, they painted a very wide canvas. And the wide yeah. canvas included people who just said things like, I was in this program or I was part of the Illuminati or I was part exactly. of this. And they, yeah. listened, they listened to everybody and they definitely had some winners and some big losers. Uh, this is how it went. And so they, I would say some of the winners would be like people like Bob Dean, who talked a little bit about what they had for aliens, what they understood about it on the military side back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were some winners there, but there's certainly some losers that came out of the Camelot whistleblowing lineup. And for my money, that's the way it's going to go when you take that type of approach. It's not without merit. But it is no, no. But we yeah. grant them a pioneer license anyway, right? <laughs> That's what it is. They were very early. They were early on, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just. I mean, they did uh, important groundwork. We can't take that away from them. But today we have these conventions where more serious researchers, more screened quality filter, I'd say, uh, like the secret space program conventions, right? And, uh, yeah. and that's really what started to bring this to the, at least to the system critical and, and the conspiracy buffs and all that and ufology people. It started to become, because b- before it was more like, yeah, everything is aliens, everything is UFOs. Still, we have back engineered it. Mm-hmm. But this is never ours. It's always them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're actually starting to, like, trap it. He just made his analysis. And yeah, I think most of them are ours, actually, what we can see up there. <laughs> and ours in brackets, because I have no identification with these people. But still, and then comes these so-called insiders and hijacks the whole thing. And then comes this Gaia TV thing that I'm pretty skeptical to also. Yes. And uh, could you just take over the narration here and give people a condensed version? I mean, go to uh, Dark Journalist's videos to get the whole full story. It's very interesting. You made, let's start with that. You made three interviews with Bill Ryan or at least three releases. Well, what we did actually, um, when the questions were coming up around Corey Good, and just for a quick outline, Corey Good claims yeah. to be a time traveling astronaut who has been in these programs 20 years and back where they took him out of his life and put him in this secret space program. And 
he was in and Mars and, you know, he was representing a space alliance and while he was there and then when they brought him back, they time and age regressed him back. So nobody noticed he was yeah. missing. I mean, the story is absolutely elaborate and ridiculous. Yeah, but we've, we've had people like that before. But yeah. here the new thing is that everything that already he took elements that were already exposed and started to elaborate on them like the Nazis Yes. That's a fresh thing. Those people who claim they've been on Mars or been trapped in some covert system or time traveling, etc. They've stick to the old narrative. What Corey has done, which is brilliant from an attention seeking perspective, is that he's taking the new info and adjusted his story to that. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so the Nazis is one thing and, and mm -hmm. this, the blue avian thing. Yeah, he's got, uh, well, there's a number of things. And what's funny is they've been added over time. So it's like we need more and more material as we yeah, go along. Typical. But really, in a nutshell, good. He came out of interviews with Project Avalon. That's where he started. Yeah. And a Avalon was Bill Ryan's uh, split off after he left Camelot. And basically, the behind the scenes effect there was that Kerry Cassidy of Project Camelot, working with these whistleblowers, was a little too loose with them, and that Ryan was more not quite comfortable with the way that with who was getting on board and who they were supporting as whistleblowers, and that he went off and started Avalon. That's basically well to his credit, I agree with that attitude. Yeah. You have to protect if you, if it's genuine whistleblowers, but uh, they are sensitive to being exploited by. Yes. PSYOPs, of course, mm -hmm. propaganda, right? And, yeah. and I think much of it is. And uh, at least he takes that serious, like you should do if you're a journalist. Yeah, and I think, so it became Kerry Cassidy running Camelot with these people with wild stories. And then Avalon also talking to people who were telling wild stories, but maybe he was looking for a kind of a, a more grounded approach. Yeah. But um so what happened with him, though, is that Corey Good came out of that and he was one of the ones in the first video with Corey Good, him coming out and telling his story is from Project Avalon, ironically enough, because mm. the very thing that is now shaking up <laughs> the Corey Good story uh, was my set of interviews with Bill Ryan about Corey Good and the holes in his story over time. And there are too many to enumerate here, but I will say. For sure, time and time again, his story looks like a fabrication. Now, oh, yeah. the next thing that happened is... Yeah, hang on. Before you go to the next step, let me recommend people to go and watch that or, or listen to that because uh, you'll get uh, very concrete specifics uh, that, uh, you know, flushes him out of, of, of the bullshit uh, woods. Yeah, I would say on the evidence side, his story has zero evidence. And I say that very confidently yep. with after spending a good couple of months deep in his story. There's nothing on the evidence side except a story. Yeah, plus there are stuff that the opposite. There are circumstantial evidence that it is fabrications. And that's just from from Bill Ryan's uh, expose of him. Because Ryan obviously has inside information since he is the one who brought him forth. But then you went further. I went further and I started a series called New Age Deep State. Yeah. And New Age Deep State, now we're up to five episodes. There's only six, uh, so there's one left. 
But basically, the idea of New Age Deep State started for me with my interviews about Tom DeLonge, because I saw a big marketing push coming into the UFO field, along mm. with the strange inclusion of, of UFOs in the campaign in 2016, and commercials from Pepsi's and, and things. Pepsi had put out these commercials. There was a big push around UFOs. And I was like, hmm. Now, we know that the 70th anniversary of Roswell was coming up this year, and that just happened. And uh, also, we know that the 40th anniversary of Close Encounters, the movie from Spielberg from 1977, is now uh, – that's the anniversary happening this summer also. So this is very interesting timing around the marketing campaign. Somebody wanted the sweet timing. So I decided that you know I spend so much time researching the deep state uh, around the themes that Peter Dale Scott put out that when I analyze the political structure – in our backyard around the new age themes or the UFO themes or the secret space program, we were getting the same type of infiltration, but in our backyard of mm. uh, this independent alternative research community and in independent media in general. Now, alternative media got slapped very hard uh, right around the beginning of the year, right after the election with all the fake news push from the media that were trying to really get rid of alternative media. And they, yeah. they, really pushed hard with things like the Portman Murphy Act, which was meant to manipulate alternative media and set up uh, defenses against it. That's a government act. Yeah, and imagine if Clinton had won, huh? That would have been a really sad state of affairs. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to get, get back to Trump because uh, his hands aren't clean in this um, relation, but we'll get back to that. Just continue with uh, your point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, and things like Proper Not came out where they put all these independent media sites and the Washington Post was listing these alternative media sites saying, oh, they're Kremlin connected. And some of them were the most absurd. I mean, but even Zero Hedge was in there, of course. But uh, other very, you know, low level ones were in there. And you'd be thinking, why are they going after these small like UFO websites and things like that? They just mm. wanted a clean house. Uh, and then when I did a little research on the company Proper Not, uh, they'd only been started in the summer of 2016. Right. So they're definitely a front company sent out there to make the alternative media look bad. Didn't work <laughs> is the upshot of all that. Yeah. No, they smeared. Uh, I mean, they used a big brush. Oh, yes. my God. Absolutely. They tried to smear everyone who was independent, basically. I, I, I prefer, by the way, the expression independent media because that's basically what we're talking about i i, I don't like the term alternative uh, yeah. what, what makes us the alternative <laughs> why aren't they you absolutely. know what i mean yeah absolutely. so we have corporate or, or state media and then we have uh, independent media i think uh, independence a good way to go you're going to catch me saying alternative just because i'm so darn used to say no problem but i will say i just want to make a point of that so <laughs> So what happened was I, I realized um, when we were looking at what was going on with the deep state and the push against the alternative media, that this was spilling also into the invasion of these other independent areas, like mm. UFO research, like the secret space program research, and the new age communities. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, this is very coordinated, and I know marketing very well. And when I started to see certain fingerprints, I was like, this is a coordinated marketing campaign. And the more research I did on it, the more the Corey Good story started to pop up as an aspect. Uh, I wouldn't say it was the core aspect, but it was a very important one. Mm. And uh, so I decided when I was doing the series that I would spotlight him in a couple of episodes since I had just done the 
interviews with Bill Ryan, and we started the New Age Deep State series, and those are available online, uh, and they're free to watch. Uh, really and some- recommended, yeah. Thank Great you. Rook. And somebody, uh, you know, we've included a couple of whistleblowers from uh, this three-year disclosure marketing plan. So their their interviews are very interesting because you get a real idea of what the business side of of this is looking like and the types of conversations that are going on. And, and some of the back men, what you call handlers, back people. Yes. Uh, puppet, uh, yeah, yeah, you expose some of them too. They were absolutely invisible before the series. And mm. I think it's very important uh, that we know who they are and what, what the deal is. And um, they can be and then de- you got pushback, which is always a good sign that you're onto something. Oh, we got dramatic pushback. And this is the nature of the thing. Oddly enough, the episodes featuring good, there were only going to be a couple. But he made himself the centerpiece of the entire series by threatening the whistleblowers with legal action, by threatening dark journalists with legal action. And um, insane, you know, his insane ranting about how the Illuminati was after him and the cabal was coming to get him. And, you know, he's like sitting duck, actually. It's a good thing that uh, you cracked uh, it there because I don't think he's smart enough because what he does is actually, I mean, a real intelligence operator, his handlers would never allow that kind of attention. Absolutely. He gives it attention and he, give, he gives it credit. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, his over-response, I think, yeah. again, made him the centerpiece of the series. Me think the ladies protest too much. <laughs> <laughs> I almost actually called one of the episodes that. Uh, oh, you should have. <laughs> But um, what was interesting about all this was behind him was somebody, his business partner, who nobody yeah. knew anything about. And uh, he went under the name Roger Richards, but his his name was Roger Ramsar for most of his career. And only in a couple of events for Corey, he called himself Roger Richards, which I didn't get. And um, I didn't think that was a big deal. But then everybody kept saying to me, no, 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 his name is Emma Gold. And I was like, what's that all about? So he was communicating as these three different people. So it wasn't like somebody who just picked up a pseudonym to to do like writing or whatever it happened to be. This guy mm-hmm. was actively using all three names. Mm-hmm. So uh, I looked into that a little bit and found out that he had designed something called Full Disclosure Now. And Full Disclosure Now was a an outfit that started in 2016 and slowly started to monopolize the UFO field by grabbing up little outlets and putting on things like they started – putting out this um, different YouTube channels and they started putting out these podcasts and things like this. And they were putting out a comic book for Corey Good and his experiences. And uh, so part of the the crew and whistleblowers on that team told me about something they had called Corey's Kids, where they wanted these young adults to come forward and basically pretend to know all these aspects of the secret space program, go out and make YouTube videos, go out and do podcasts, go out and do these lectures and conferences. And, you know, these are like people in their 20s, basically. Mm. Uh, So they're not actually kids, but that's what they call them in their marketing terminology. So and the idea was they were going to go out there and create this whole craze among these young adults for a secret space program. And so they set up these things like, hey, it's our secret space program gear store. Mm. Um, And so exactly. And cartoons. I mean, how can you have a serious convention on this real life, deep politics things? If it's become like a, a cartoon, I mean, nobody will take it seriously, which unbelievable, right? So, so the, I mean, that gives it away right there. Well, it was definitely you muddy the water, isn't that what you yeah. say in English? Yes, muddy, muddy the, the waters. Water. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Well, when you think about the people who've been around the UFO field, uh, like Professor John Mack, I always bring back, here's yeah. a Harvard professor who put his neck on the line and his reputation on the line and was smeared by Time magazine and all the major media outlets uh, back around 2000. And these are the people who really went in there and tried to find out what was going on. Mm. Um, and even when we did the Secret Space Program conference in 2015 in Austin, there was Linda Moulton Howe, who'd spent 40 years trying to bring this to the public in a journalistic fashion. She trained journalist, one of the best. And here now, all of this research, and I could name so many other people, yeah. But then now you're going to have these gear stores and you're going to have these kind of like young adults coming up and they don't have the knowledge background. Many of them just got into it three or four months ago at the behest of the Full Disclosure Now company. And the Full Disclosure Now company was run by Roger Ramsar, who was Corey Good's business partner. Well, I'll tell you, none of this stuff was in the public domain. So nobody knew anything about this until we did the series. Mm. So they had a lot of splaining to do, as they say, and yeah. they didn't like that. And that's why they came back so hard against the whistleblowers and they had the big pushback. But what this all revealed really was that there was a large scale marketing push. And what I called it a, a cult marketing campaign because it's a more like a marketing cult than just a regular marketing promo because mm -hmm. things like the blue avians which are these blue savior aliens that are supposed to communicate with good they're a factor in there but they're also featured in the comic book and um mm -hmm. they they announced these things at contact in the desert which is the major ufo conference that happened in may and so Corey good comes out and announces something like 20 different business initiatives and one of them is counseling services so people can deal with disclosure. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so here was a guy who claims to be a time-traveling astronaut, and he's going to offer counseling services. So this was interesting to me. The next thing was disclosure backpacks for kids. I was like, well, they're really aiming this thing down age-wise. And this is also part of the marketing campaign. So there were enough factors in the marketing campaign for me to see that it was not just a promo, but there was a cult aspect to be grown out of that. And the more that I dealt with his team uh, around Full Disclosure Now, the three-year disclosure marketing cult, Corey Good, Roger Ramsar, I started to see something very strange was going on here. Even for alternative media, this was a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's where the, the episodes came from. And I think that the information there shows us that there's a coordinated activity. Now, when we go back to the year previously in the push, the deep marketing push by the DeLong people, mm. which also looked weird to me and which I also clashed with, I started to see these might be two different pushes of the same variety. They might be coming from a very similar place. Yeah, but wouldn't you say, okay, so then uh, we could say that uh, the cartoon, the children version would be Goods and, and Wilcock and the maybe a little bit more adult version would be DeLong's. Well, that's interesting because it's true that DeLong hit pretty hard and heavy, but you have to, uh, with the whole book idea and all the rest of it. Mm. But he did say that his main thing was to go after millennials. Right. And uh, so they, they also were aiming at... The yeah, but I mean adult version in the contents, in what they present. I mean, you have a, a really wild... Because this is completely anecdotal, but I've talked mm -hmm. with a couple of people who actually believe these things. Mm -hmm. Like far out New Agers, you uh, Foucaultish people, uh, of course, slackers, you know. Right, yes. <laughs> and they have no critical thinking and they're completely on board with, with 
Corey Goods and, uh, you know, regard any criticism against that as Illuminati. Yes, insanely. And uh, then I've talked with some people, I mean, physically met people, uh, just random people uh, who are more into the, the long camp and they are a little more should I say, I have a little higher standard. Yeah. Uh, oh, students. It's less culty by a long shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm thinking the appeal, the cartoonish version is is the Wilcock good thing. Mm-hmm. And the more down-to-earth version, maybe I, I'm just speculating, is, is the, DeLong thing. Well, I think what's interesting, and I would agree with that, I think that DeLong's it's really interesting from this perspective, which is it makes the CIA and the military heroes for dealing with the UFOs because the aliens and the UFOs in DeLong's work are these kind of demonic entities and the CIA and the government have been fighting demons. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. that's really a big thrust behind his thing, which is weird because uh, as we all know, going through this, it is true that for years and years, the government has suppressed information around UFOs. And Mm. people, when they think of the CIA and UFOs, they think of suppression or manipulation. So it almost seemed like part of the DeLong thing was to kind of clean up the name of the CIA and the government in relation to UFOs. Right. Again, it did not work, but that seemed to be the thrust of it. Um, But now that we can see that these two campaigns of different stripes, but sort of aiming at the same thing, have really come forward 2016, 2017, now we have to take a look at it and say, well, who was putting this out? What is the main force behind it that identified that suddenly this was a good time to really reach into the UFO field and make some money and manipulate the narrative? So mm. um, in the New Age Deep State, I basically track it as two different forces and I go back further into history. I go back to the Theosophical Society, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, we're talking about the 1880s. Yeah. Um, but at a certain point when the scientific materialism of the 19th century was dominating, these fantastic things came out, theosophy and anthroposophy, which really broke with scientific materialism and spirituality became... Uh, and it broke also, it broke with the two hegemony paradigms the church yes and the uh, materialism that kind of had divided the world between them at that point yes absolutely but i i definitely think that the scientific materialism was electing itself as a new church yeah and this other stream which became new age um was unusual in this sense in that it was a major movement and there are so many ripples that come Uh, from theosophy, for example, like yoga, meditation, that just became very common over time. But they really are imported from that movement because they weren't really around in regular society. So that movement was really responsible uh, for a huge influence in the West. Well, at at least the Eastern uh, version of it. But these things are subversive by nature because I I go even deeper. You say you go back to theosophy. I'd say go back to the Gnostics because what (laughs) we really are seeing is an insurgent uh, of the Gnostic approach that just won't die it won't go away it's so subversive by nature it's always been smacked down in all societies but it always finds a way to surface because i think it's a part of the integral human nature yes and of course the problem with the gnostic approach is the individuality is the it starts with me and uh, from there i make an outlook now obviously 
powers that be wants to hijack that as they've done as religion is right and mm -hmm. even scientific materialism because you have gnosticism in science and religion in esoterica and it always they always try to hijack but they can only take over the vehicle because that idea of individuality and personal freedom <laughs> will always find a new expression yeah and that's why we can see a conflicting manifestations within something that seems to be a part of the same uh, trend or the same uh, wave yeah but you really have to go behind the labels to to really deconstruct what's going on here then you will find authoritarianism and you'll find uh, subversism maybe within the same umbrella yeah that's really true i don't know if that was unclear or... no no that's really true i think yeah. well you can think about it the hermetic and alchemical kind of movements that work definitely there as an undertone in the middle ages yep. they really uh, they had these clashes but i think the when i you can look to the setup going all the way back there even to the templars mm. but in modern times the the way that i see the new age thing is that the roots of this kind of modern spirituality the holistic style Mm. really came from the fact that the, the clampdown was on with scientific materialism in the middle portion of the 19th century. So it was like a backlash or like a, the pendulum swinged? Yes, it really was. And I also think it mm. may have been engineered by these secret groups and the secret societies. Well, hijacked, I'd say, because they, they take trends, they take natural trends on all levels of society, not just when it comes to paradigms. They take trends and then they try to guide that Let, let's use a typical popular culture example take the hippie movement mm -hmm. it was a real subversive real protest real anti-authorian thing but uh, obviously that was a big problem uh, they even killed some of their symbolic uh, uh, icons mm -hmm. and so they tried to you know take over and guide it uh, they flooded it with dope for instance mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so th that's what we could uh, look at the ufology thing i mean it would never happen if people didn't watch the skies and discover stuff <laughs> and then even there they come yes. in look at a more current example chemtrails people w look at the sky they see something's going on and you have a natural what i call a trend a organic bottom-up mm -hmm. reaction People try to find, figure out what's going on. And then, of course, you have to have some kind of official narrative coming in and hijacking it, tainting it. Uh, you have the weird version, which discredits totally. Oh, they're going to kill all humans, right? Okay, so mainstream people won't take it seriously. <laughs> and then you have a more, maybe a more intelligent attempt. Mm -hmm. It's the old uh, divide and, and conquer. Pharrell made the same case within, uh, in the Roswell case. You have the... Uh, one sponsored version is, oh, green man from space is coming to invade us. And the other version, oh, no, it's just weather balloons and swamp gas. Nothing to see here, folks, right? Yeah. And if he's right that it's actually uh, human technology, that's the perfect divide and conquer. We introduce a <laughs> kind of a thesis and an antithesis, and for God's sake, don't look at the synthesis. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, this is the foundation of dark journalism that you're outlining here, right. which is, yeah. you know, we have the official story, you have the secondary story, which is 
looking at the official story and finding the holes in it with other independent researchers and professors and authors and stuff. And that becomes the conspiracy theory when, in fact, it's closer to the truth. Exactly. And then you get the junk conspiracy, which is the third force narrative that creeps in here. And there's no doubt in my mind that the bringing it all around to what we're talking about, that the Corey Good three-year disclosure movement is the third force narrative in this yeah. piece, because the official story is there is no secret space program. Yeah. The researchers that have gone in and found that there's definitely trails that lead to it and breadcrumbs that go into this idea of money being pilfered out of the federal budget and moving into space, that represents a tangible thread to the secret space program. And suddenly, when that stuff is getting steam uh, you have the Wilcock Good Gaia show, Cosmic Disclosure, which starts to posit that Good is a messenger for blue avians and he's in the secret space program <laughs> and he's in Solar Warden. And he basically is in everything, as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. Um, and he's also an inner Earth ambassador and meeting people. At Antarctica. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. The new threats are Antarctica. And it was just a matter of time before Hollow Earth <laughs> yeah. became the new I'm I'm waiting. A flat Earth has to be in, I guess, at some point. No, but but uh, I'm more respect for Hollow Earth. I usually say um, the flat Earth is a distraction from Hollow Earth. Mm-hmm. The we never went to the moon. Yes, is a distraction from the classified space program. Yes, and uh, God, what's the third? Uh, I'm blanking here. <laughs> There's a third one, um, and that is that uh, ancient astronauts, ancient aliens, is a distraction from the antediluvian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see, like, uh, because these three, uh, these are examples of kind of the same theme, mm-hmm. but you're going in in opposite directions. I'm not saying. There's no element of truth to to at least the ancient alien narrative, I think, may have some, some truth to it. But, you know, giving them credit for everything when we know that humanity has a long story on Earth. Oh, yeah. Like this Black Knight satellite. Uh, I've always regarded that as a remnant of the previous civilization. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in, in line with Hoagland's thesis that the structures at the moon are ours. Yes. But they are ruins. They are ruins. And uh, I do think that part of the lies around the Apollo program were because they encountered ruins when they went on the moon. I think that's very legitimate. And and it helps to size it all up in a way because certainly there's enough evidence that we went to the moon. I don't think that should be anything that's in debate anymore. But I do feel that uh, a lot of the things around what happened. Everything is up for debate now, (laughs) even if the earth is flat, right? Right. But I I do think that that one, you know, when they got there, if they found ruins, okay, then this would be a good reason to cover it up. But let's go into this for a moment because – but you definitely – you make the point that these things are counterpoint. And the counterpoint is important because once they get these narratives out there and they don't work with the public, of course, the Kennedy assassination is the best example in any research that you do, in my opinion. That has to do with government manipulation of a narrative. All you have to do is go to the Kennedy assassination. It's the best one, and it's still active. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for me, you've got 50 years of research there, uh, and the UFO cover-up is another excellent example. Yeah. But in in the Kennedy case, it's very simple. Whenever something good comes out, they throw somebody like James Files out there and, and like, hey, look, let's get behind this story. This guy says he was part of the shooting team. You know, it doesn't matter. The point is there was a uh, an ambush and 
in the official version, they claimed it was Oswald yeah. who had just picked up the happened to pick up the job six weeks earlier in the Texas School Book Depository where the print was going to drive by. You know, it's absurd. Mm. So, but that's the official story. Once that started to collapse, they put out a number of third force junk conspiracies. The driver did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kind of weird. Yeah. It's all that kind of stuff. And so the regular person, the regular person looking at this says. I don't need to deal with all this craziness. I'll just go back to the official story. At least there's some sanity there. Yeah, I'm confused. It's too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, But even still, I do feel that the majority of people, and they've done uh, a number of surveys on this that prove that it's true, understand not only that the government lied in relation to the JFK assassination, but that the Central Intelligence Agency had a role in the assassination. That I find fascinating. Yeah, people are convinced. So it didn't, none of the, the whitewash didn't really work. <laughs> no, I mean, truth has a tendency to try to put itself up. Yeah. Part of the things that these groups that I was talking about, like Theosophy, Anthroposophy, Edgar Casey, and there were a number of them around this period, but they all referred back to Atlantis. Yeah. And that is the really high technology society that supposedly existed back there. And there are there seems to be this narrative in all of these special movements around this period relating to high technology back mm. there. And some of them very ahead of their time. In Casey's work, you get this crystal that controls airplanes and flying ships and television long before any of that stuff is really in high gear. Mm. One of the readings that he did on television is from 1926. Wow. And in America, television didn't go into full gear until 1950. So certainly Casey was really ahead of his time talking about the Atlanteans having this technology. Mm. But this idea that there was a civilization back there that had the ability for spaceflight is fascinating. And uh, it's just as viable as just, you know, some alien group with high technology visiting here and giving us religion and science oh, yeah. and philosophy. In, in fact, I say... Evidence points more to, if we strictly follow the evidence, it points more to a human space exploration uh, and advanced uh, technology in the past than it points to visitors. Because remember, the majority of the evidence fronted as alien is just portrayed as alien because it's advanced. Right. Right. So, so if we, if we really are looking for alien, extraterrestrial, there are some indications, but it's not enough. Even if you have an astronaut in ancient times, there's no basically no difference between a modern astronaut and an ancient astronaut. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't call a modern astronaut an alien just because he's geared up in spacesuit, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Whereas you do have many indications, and I won't even start mentioning them now because we're going to have a whole series about antediluvian. Awesome. But you have so much information that points to that it's even it's even a, a academic. Uh, if we're going to look at alternative, as you call it, subjects that would have a chance to be taken seriously in current contemporary mainstream academia, and to deliver civilization is our best bet, just because of the evidence. Well, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think the uh, when you go into Atlantis, when you go into Lemuria, this working around the Antarctica wave of interest that we've seen, um, we're getting somewhere with that, I think. That has a, a very good chance of, you know, when you see ruins like Gobekli Tepe being dated back, even by National Geographic, to 10,000 BC, 
suddenly a lot of that work is lining up with things like Graham Hancock and Robert Bavall and John Anthony West, the work yep. that they were doing in the 90s. You know, and that stuff does take a long time to catch on. But what's happened in the popular mind is programs like Gaia TV, uh, you know, with David Wilcock, uh, yeah. programs like – They immediately hijack these things. They do. And they, they put a team of writers on them and they put themselves right smack dab in the middle too, which mm. is like, you know, I'm a messenger from this or I had a dream about that. And uh, this is actually a technique – which they're trying to kind of vacuum up. And one of the episodes on New Age Deep State, number five, mm -hmm. we showed uh, how these groups like Wilcock and Good hijacked information and the intellectual property and ideas of these people like Cliff High and Linda Moulton Howe, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's just they're on the record. This is what the researchers said that they did. Um, so we can see that they have the proclivity for this and the reason that they're doing it. But this, it's not just about Corey Good or even Gaia TV. It's this whole atmosphere of excessive marketing. Hmm. And Ancient, Ancient Aliens is a piece of it. Coast to Coast now, Paranormal Dating Service is their big push. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, this, I mean, I think we've lost a lot of good, credible research in this area. Ancient Aliens were doing episodes like Cowboys and Aliens, literally. <laughs> You know, so, I mean, you have to say at a certain point, this thing has become a farce and they're running Ford commercials and that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I do think that this is the end of those seasons anyway. And Coast to Coast is a very aging, you know, it's looking very old and very tired. There's nothing new or interesting going on there. Mm -hmm. So those things are going to be out of the mainstream. And what we're seeing is this big commercialism wave being emanated from things like Gaia TV and these other companies coming in and now the history channel makes it a fact to just throw out a new ufo show yeah. because they get the ratings on it and so they love the spin yeah. and the spin is hey you know it's crazy ancient alien stuff or hey you know it's <laughs> here's this time traveling astronaut and they just like the ratings flash it has nothing to do with solid research so i think that we need to separate secret space program entertainment yeah. ufo entertainment from secret space program research ufo research yeah. esoteric research from entertainment they're two totally different things yeah because entertainment will never challenge the jiggle factor um, yes, it will never break that uh, artificial wall between what you're supposed to take seriously and what's entertainment, like you say. So, yeah. 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 I hope I don't concede the space uh, project to to the loonies. <laughs> it's in desperate need of uh, sane input, the space part. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I said that uh, I met people who who liked the Corey Good stuff. One of them yep, told me. Yeah. In fact, I think that guy actually said Illuminati <laughs> agent. Yeah. I think that was the very word he used. Oh. Sheeple. Oh, man. Sheeple. And where do they get these notions? I know. I, I'm, I... I'm pretty sure there are some, some clubs, some circles where they are pushing out an idea, a narrative. Yes. Oh, well, he, uh, good himself on the Sphere Being Alliance Facebook, puts out all these ideas like he's an Illuminati. Agent. Oh, in the open? Yeah. Like totally in, in the, the open? open? Yeah. He says, he says, <laughs> he, he's like, uh, you know, he's an Illuminati agent coming after me. And uh, he's right. like, you know, he's, he was part of the military industrial complex drip, drip, drip disclosure. And like, we ruined his plans and stuff. So they have a whole fantasy about me. <laughs> wow. 
this is the incredible stuff, right? It's like, um, well, what's happened there is like this group is so dedicated to him at this point. Yeah, it's a religion. Yeah, it really is. A lot of that support has been cut out, and we've You've been had it. You have had impact, yeah. no question. Yeah, it really. And what's interesting is he bought a lot of that attention himself by freaking out. Yeah. But I have to say that I think that there's a kind of a karmic justice sword in all of this because it just seemed like when I was doing the reports, there was a weird sense to it, like it was going to happen. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So so if, if you didn't exist, history yeah. would have to invent you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you said it quite well. That's what exactly what I was thinking. Plus, no, when Bill Ryan and, and even, oh, I look forward to Dolan's take, when all these old timers are coming out too. It is. I think we will win this battle. Yeah, I do. I do. And it'll be major. And I'll tell you another thing. A lot of shows and a lot of, there'll be a lot more oxygen in the alternative media space itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shows like Farrell's stuff, it won't be tied down by people borrowing and stealing the information. No, it will be more original content. But it is what I'm glad about today is that it's, it's such a time capsule too. Uh, the show today, because it really, it covers all these. You things. mean ours today? Me and you? Yeah. 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 The one that we do right now. Very current. And so yep. there's a, yeah, there's a lot of value in that right now. Yeah. So I want to push this. I think this one will come out before Catherine's actually. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. That's great. I'll definitely run it through because um, there's a lot of good material and I definitely look forward to having it out there because one of the things that's interesting about when we do these conversations is that there's a wide palette mm. of subjects and that's the way I like to present really. And you can't always do that with your guests, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I see the point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, why I like to interview uh, podcasters. Uh, I just realized I like that. I haven't done it too much. I, I actually, I think I've just done it three times now. I'm into it. So, but it's true because uh, I can take a more active role, like opinionate uh, more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's, it's like a conversation between two colleagues or two friends or whatever. And yeah. I think that's an, it's a different kind of interesting for the listeners too. Yeah, I can appreciate that too. Sure. But uh, hey, are you familiar with the podcast called Skeptical? Skeptical, no. Oh, it's a great podcast. The guy's been going on. He's an American, um, Alex Dacleris. He's been going on for 10 years. Okay. And he started out as... You know, sincerely going into science and trying to figure out where where does the evidence lead, right? The materialism versus the <laughs> humanity, if you like, and consciousness. And uh, this um, this hardcore follow the evidence has led him into our area. <laughs> ah, that's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, so he started out, he's been going for uh, 10 years. Mm -hmm. He's followed the data, Follow the data. It's very scientific, which obviously makes him opposed to scientism. Mm -hmm. And so um, because he's been following the data, he's now in agreement where, where we are going. That's great. You should just check Skeptico. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, Skeptico, it's starting to sound more familiar. There's an O at the end. I thought you said Skeptico. Yeah. Skeptico. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The skeptics hate him. Right. 
He's uh, he's had on uh, like Brandenburg. He had on excellent. Have you interviewed Brandenburg by the way? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. We we had a an interview set up, but uh, he had to bail out for some reason. I never reset it, but certainly he's very interesting. No, uh, he was at the Secret Space Conference that I was doing. Right. So, oh yeah. Okay. So I, ca- I did. Connect. I did listen to that. Yeah. What about this guy who draws spaceship? What's this? Uh, we had the same thing with him. We set up something. It didn't go, and I haven't rebooked him. What's his name again? He was drawing spaceships for the military industrial complex. I'm trying to think of who that could be. Hmm. He may have been on the one with Strat, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. He's got the white hair. Yeah. Yes. Very interesting guy. Um, Mark. I want to say. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mark something. Yeah, Mark something, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. But hey, what's going on with Jim Mars? Is he still alive? Well, he's uh, he's very ill. And um, I don't know. Jim didn't take such great care of himself. So I think when this came up. Mm. So I don't know. Uh, and, and the other dude, um, friend of Hancock. And- oh, uh, John Anthony West. Yes. Is he still alive? Do you know? He is. He is. He's 85. And wow. he has cancer. Because I know, and he's he's been on the tour. I so regret that in. I know. He wasn't one of the first because he's. I met he's, him. Wow. Uh, at the Edgar Casey Foundation in Virginia Beach, which I recommend if you come <laughs> go down there because okay. it's a great place to go. Uh, it's great. One of the best libraries I've ever seen. Mm. But um, he was great. He was fantastic in person, gruff, you know. <laughs> he is. He's the real. So yeah. we had a good time. I actually donated to his uh, yeah. campaign of keeping him alive. Yes. So I'm so glad that he's still uh, alive. No question. But he's old, so it's hard to battle the cancer at that age. Yeah, we might lose some kind of special people, uh, I think, in this period. I, I think I, sh- from now on, should go by age. I should start oh, interviewing oh, the oldest guys around. Idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that's the best way to approach this because uh, they're dying off left and right here. Oh, I think you hit on something there, really. Yeah. Have you run across Chris uh, Cliff High at all? No. No. Who's that? Kind of an interesting guy. He puts together these web bots, and uh, it's pretty interesting. It's like uh, they predict things based on what's out there. <laughs> and I'm starting to enjoy Cliff's reports. Uh, we oh, got. Oh, the- I think I've heard about that. Yeah, it's some kind of algorithm that. H- has he been on coast to coast? He has been on coast to coast, and uh, he he has these things. They're called Alta reports. Right. But some of some of the stuff he's coming up with is pretty interesting. I might include him in your listening stuff because there's there's some interesting kind of streams of information he's putting out there. I mean, he gets a lot into cryptocurrencies and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but um, but for the most part, when he gets into international events, I notice he has a pretty good batting record based on how the web bots pick up information and keywords and stuff. Mm. And uh, so it's a, it's a kind of a quirky system he has going on, but I think it's pretty good. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Drop me a link or something. I want to look into that. I definitely will. Hey, uh, let's, let's take, take a, a quick break. break. Okay. And when we come back, we'll continue, continue this. Yes, yes, sir. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. 
Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks.